let me ask you this. Are you facing a situation where you need to see a breakthrough? Maybe it's uh, regarding someone you know, someone you love. Maybe it's an issue in your own life and you are desperate to see change, to see a shift. Maybe like me, you've been praying for that situation for a long time, you know, pleading for God's intervention, saying, how long, Lord? If so, I want to invite you to join with me in setting aside a day to seek the Lord with fasting. Now, why would we do that? Well, listen to Arthur Wallace in his book, God's Chosen Fast. Fasting may provide us with a key to unlock doors when other keys have failed. A window opening up new horizons in the unseen world. A spiritual weapon of God's providing, mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I know how easy it is to grow weary in prayer or to become complacent, which is why we need one another. It's why I'm calling us to stand together in prayer and fasting, to see change. You know, fasting helps us to uh, express our resolve. It says that we are ready to sacrifice anything to see the situation change rather than let it continue. Are you ready to do that? If so, I'll give details at the end of this message about a specific day that we might fast together. Now, I know there are all kinds of questions about fasting, like, you know, shouldn't we only fast if God tells us to? Or uh, what about Jesus's disciples? They didn't fast, so why should we? Or is taking a break from social media considered a valid form of fasting? And isn't fasting just a hunger strike, you know, trying to twist God's arm to do something? Surely we don't relate to God in that way, do we? So in this message, I'm hoping to answer those questions and more as we look at what Jesus says next in the Sermon on the Mount, where he addresses fasting in his own day. Let's read from Matthew 6. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this is, this is the third example that Jesus gives where he's contrasting the heart's motivation of a true child of God with that of a religious hypocrite. We've already looked at giving to the needy and prayer. And here fasting follows the same pattern. Don't be like those religious hypocrites who make a, a big song and dance out of fasting, says Jesus. They want people to know their fasting so they'll be respected and thought of as real spiritual. Don't be like them. Instead, when you fast, do it because you're seeking your Father in heaven, not because you're seeking the admiration of others. That's essentially what Jesus is saying here. I like what John Stark says about this passage in his book, The Secret Place of Thunder. That's a great title, isn't it? The Secret Place of Thunder. He says, Matthew 6 teaches us about a fast within a fast. On the one hand, you're fasting from food. But on the other hand, you're fasting from the glory and praise of others. And he poses this question. He says, do you know how to live? Not for those who can see your face, but for the one who can see your heart. That's a great question for us to ponder on. Do I know how to live? 
not for those who see my face, but for the one who can see my heart. What do I care about the most? How I appear to others or living for the one who truly knows my heart? As in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is more concerned with the posture of our hearts than our outward actions and appearances. It's the things we do for God and with God in that secret place that get rewarded by our Heavenly Father because it comes from a heart that is devoted to Him. But as we saw with prayer, it doesn't mean that fasting always has to be kept private and in secret. You know, we see plenty of corporate fasts in the Bible, in both the Old Testament and the New, where people would fast together, sometimes as a nation or as a group of people. Like we see in Acts 13, where it says the leaders of the church in Antioch were worshipping the Lord and fasting. And it was in that context that the Holy Spirit gave them clear guidance to commission Paul and Barnabas for the work he was calling them to. And it proved to be an absolutely pivotal moment in the history of the church. But, you know, whether our fast is private or done corporately with others, what does seem clear is that Jesus expects his followers to fast. Now, why would I say that? Well, did you notice Jesus didn't say if you fast, but when you fast. When you fast, he says, which means rather than asking God if he wants us to fast, we should be asking when and how. If you do a survey of the Bible, you'll see that God's people fasted on many different occasions and for many different reasons. Uh, they fasted when seeking the Lord for protection, for deliverance and for guidance. They fasted when uh, expressing grief or repentance or to humble themselves before God. Uh, we see fasting in worship and dedication to God, uh, in seeking to hear his voice. And Jesus himself fasted to overcome temptation and prepare himself for ministry. So with all that said, why then did Jesus' own disciples not fast? Jesus said, when you fast, and yet they didn't. Why not? That was the question that Jesus was asked when, just after the Sermon on the Mount, some followers of John the Baptist came to him and said, you know, we and the Pharisees fast often, but your followers don't ever fast. Why is that? And it was a good question, because fasting was common practice for devout Jews. Many Pharisees would fast twice a week to show their humility. Though, as we've seen, Jesus called them hypocrites because so many were doing it for effect. But for many other Jews at that time, it was an expression of their a longing to see God come and deliver his people. A longing for God to come and be in their midst. So they were shocked to see Jesus' disciples not fasting. Why don't your followers fast like us, they said. And this is how Jesus responded. He said, how can the wedding guests mourn when the bridegroom is with them? Now, what was Jesus saying there? He was clearly identifying himself as a bridegroom, which surely can only be the bridegroom that the prophet Isaiah had spoken of when God said he would rejoice over his people like a bridegroom over his bride. And so Jesus was saying he was that bridegroom. God himself had come to be with his people, his bride, to make preparations for the wedding. And of course, no one fasts at a wedding, do they? It's a time of joy and celebration of eating and drinking. 
So in the presence of Jesus the bridegroom, it would be inappropriate for his disciples to fast. That's what Jesus was saying. But then he went on to say this. He said, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then they will fast, he says. And most Bible commentators believe that the time Jesus is referring to when the bridegroom was taken away is the period of time between Jesus's ascension, when he left his disciples, and when he will return. In other words, the age that we are living in. Then they will fast, says Jesus. And it suggests that part of the reason for us fasting is to get ourselves ready for the return of our bridegroom as we express our longing for his presence. And that seems to be the point Jesus is making when he uses the word bridegroom a second time in a parable he told in Matthew 25 about the end times, where ten virgins were waiting to meet the bridegroom, but some were not prepared. And so when the cry came, the bridegroom is here, they missed the marriage feast. So in light of that, it makes me wonder whether one reason for us fasting is to help keep us alert and focused on Jesus and his kingdom. So we're always ready for his return. But the point is, while Jesus was on earth with his disciples, they didn't need to fast because he was already physically present with them. But for us, the bridegroom is no longer present. We're still awaiting his return. And that is why we fast. We do, of course, have his promise. We have his spirit, the Holy Spirit with us, guaranteeing that one day we'll be with him forever. But until that day comes, when our bridegroom returns and we'll feast with him in the new heavens and new earth, until that day comes, we should fast. It's not something we're meant to do all the time, though some might be called to fast regularly. I um, know, for example, John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church, he fasted one day a week from sundown on Thursday to sundown on Friday. But for most of us, it'll probably be specific times or seasons when we add fasting to our praying because we hunger for more of God. And I think that's probably the best way of understanding what fasting is about. It's not just abstaining from food. It's about hungering for something greater than food. Ultimately, it's about hungering for God himself. And I think that's what really underlines all biblical fasting. It's a humbling of oneself and a hungering for God, expressing our need of him and our desire for him. It's why fasting is not about trying to twist God's arm to get something from him, right? It's not a transaction, like if I make this sacrifice and you do this for me. No, it's not a transaction. It's a relationship in which we long for more of God. We long to see his kingdom come. And his will being done. As Sam Storms wrote, we fast because we want something more than food. That is to say, if one suppresses the desire for food, it is only because he or she has a greater and more intense desire for something more precious, something of eternal value. We hunger for communion with God, to hear his voice, to experience his presence. We hunger to see his kingdom come in our lives, in our families, in our cities, in our nation, in this world. We fast because we want to see Jesus glorified. We long for him to come because he is the hope of the world. He is with us by his spirit and yet our cry is, come Lord Jesus. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. 
It's why fasting is very much related to last week's message on the Lord's Prayer. In fact, throughout the Bible, fasting is almost always linked with prayer. Fasting is a kind of uh, intensification of prayer. It's a God-given means of expressing our earnestness in prayer. Without prayer, fasting means we just go hungry. Uh, without prayer, fasting is just, well, dieting. So when we plan to fast, we should also plan to pray. Maybe meal times become prayer times. That's what I used to do when I worked in graphic design. When I was fasting, I'd go somewhere to pray during my lunch break. And I'm sure that there are other kinds of fast that can be helpful too, like abstaining from television or social media, especially if the intention is to focus more on God and spend time praying. But a true biblical fast is to abstain from eating food. And that could also include a partial fast, uh, like the one that Daniel undertook in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 10, it says for three weeks, he had no meat or wine or rich food. He humbled himself before God, it says, because he was seeking to understand. And as a result, he was given a vision. God gave him an amazing revelation about what was happening in the spiritual realm. So, you know, there does seem to be the connection between our physical hunger and our spiritual hunger. As Jesus said, when he fasted for 40 days, he said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God which is surely why fasting should play a part in our own relationship with God. But I think it's important to point out that if you feel called to undertake a, a, an extended fast, whether a normal fast without food or a partial one like Daniel, then please do your homework. I've done some extended fasts myself, uh, but it was after a lot of research and preparation. And if you have some medical condition or are pregnant, then you should certainly get the advice of a healthcare professional. But for the fast I am proposing, it will just be for one day, from sundown on Monday night, May the 1st, until sundown on Tuesday, May the 2nd, when we'll all gather together in Portsmouth. And then after the meeting, we can all go and eat. And I chose that Tuesday to fast because in the evening, we've already planned to gather together to worship and appoint our two new elders, Mike Shevnell in Portsmouth and Rob Bougeau in Summersworth. And in the New Testament in Acts 14, we read that when elders were appointed in the churches, they were committed to the Lord, it says, with prayer and fasting. So on that day, May 2nd, I want to invite you to join me in fasting and setting aside time to pray, to pray for the breakthrough, as I said at the beginning, to see breakthrough in those situations and lives that we are each seeking God for, but also to see breakthrough in our church as we appoint these two elders. May it be a pivotal time for us as we have begun to multiply our congregations so we can reach more and more people with the gospel. So, when we gather that evening with worship and fasting, we'll pray together for the breakthroughs we're seeking, for God to come into those situations, and also bring strength and momentum to our church as we appoint these new elders. So I hope you'll be able to join me in prayer and fasting that day. As John Wesley once said, have you any days of fasting and prayer? Storm the throne of grace and persevere therein, and mercy will come down.
Now here are some questions for group discussion. Did you hear anything new in this message? How would you explain fasting to a new Christian? Secondly, have you ever fasted? For what reason? What do you think it achieved? And what would you do differently? And lastly, will you consider fasting more in the future? Why or why not?